You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 30. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapist Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Rambach, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. This podcast is sponsored by Music Teachers Helper, the best way to manage your private music lesson studio and or music therapy practice. I've used Music Teachers Helper every single day since 2011, and it is one of the best tools I have to keep my private practice running smoothly. Music Teachers Helper is online scheduling and billing software, which you can access from your computer, laptop, tablet, and smartphone, and saves you hours every month, enables you to generate reports for taxes, and ensures you never lose track of a payment. Once you add a student, which is super easy, you can choose to automatically send students custom invoices that can be paid by credit card if you make that an option. Automatically email lesson and session reminders, late payment notifications, notes, and so much more. So many amazing features, I can't even list them all here. Every user also receives a free, easy-to-build website template to help market your studio or private practice. Ditch the costly web designer or programmers and have complete control over your website content. With dozens of professional templates available, you'll be sure to find one that best expresses your style. Whether you have five or 50 students, Music Teachers Helper works with studios and practices of all sizes. They offer a 30-day no-risk trial where you can test it out to discover how much time you'll be saving. If you use the link in the show notes or go to www.musicteachershelper.com slash podcast, you'll save 20% off your first month if you choose to sign up after the trial. In this episode, I'm chatting with Joanne Jordan. Joanne and her family live in Hayes, Kansas. She's the owner of Music Sparks, a music therapy private practice serving older adults and preschoolers. Leading intergenerational sessions is her favorite each week. Joanne, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. I have known you for what feels like forever at this point. Um, And I've really enjoyed getting to talk to you and see you at conferences and um, and over email and Facebook and all those things. But I think that this is going to be fun to really delve into your background and your life as a music therapist and as a mom. Well, it'll be fun to share. Good, good. Well, let's start with talking about how you came to music therapy and sort of your career path. Well, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do after high school. And there was an article in the Wichita Eagle Beacon that featured a music therapist and her work at St. Francis Hospital. And unfortunately, that position no longer exists. But reading that article was the inspiration for my making the decision for music therapy, because I knew I wanted to do something with music and something that involved people. And music ed just had not felt like quite the right fit. But as soon as I read that article, I was like, this is it. Yay. (laughs) And went to my high school counselor and said, I've got a career path. I'm going to be a music therapist. And he's like, there is no such thing. (laughs) 
And I'm like, yes, there is. And as it was before, there was the lovely ability to Google. I had to sit there and go through the University of Kansas catalog page by page by page to find music therapy and show him that indeed there was such a degree and that oh, that was funny. what it's going to do. Oh my gosh. So that was sort of how I got, got started. As I finished the degree requirements, I um, met my husband and we got engaged. Um, I went to my internship and we had decided that we wanted to take a year before we got married just to get our careers started because we didn't feel that for us starting careers and a marriage would necessarily be the best thing. So my first job was at the Youth Center at Beloit, which was the Kansas um, site for adjudicated teenage girls. And that was my first job my first year out. And how... How did you feel going into your first job? Were you nervous? Did you feel like you were well-prepared after doing your coursework and your internship? Well, as this was still somewhat the dark ages, I got to do some music therapy, but a lot of my job was rec therapy. So okay, I felt very comfortable doing the music therapy part, not so comfortable doing the rec therapy part that was doing all the calisthenics, overseeing baseball, volleyball. <laughs> wow. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I I really felt that at least as a music therapy student and professional that I went in with the skills I needed as far as being able to handle and adjust to different situations. Mm -hmm. And once we got married, then um, I left that position because there was no good in-between point for us to live and be able to both commute to our jobs. So... Did you have an idea of where you would be going after that, after you got married? Or was it kind of just one of those things where you were going to see where you landed? Um, as far as a job, I just went to see where we I would land. And yeah. I ended up um, working in, part-time in long-term care and getting my first contract as a music therapist in long-term care at another facility and just totally felt at home. And that was when I knew that working with older adults was definitely an area for me. Had you had experience working with that population before you took that job? Yes. Um, one of my practicums was with well elderly in the Lawrence area. They had a community band. And so I'd worked some with that population at that point. Okay. And when you were doing that practicum, did you feel like this was the area that you were meant to work in or were you just kind of exploring your options still at that point? I was still exploring options. I I felt pretty comfortable with both older adults and with young children. So okay. that has continued, actually. I was going to say, well, that was some nice foreshadowing to, to where you ended up. Yes. <laughs> okay. So so take us from that point where you, where you took on that contract. What happened after that? Well, we did a humongous uh, move at year two at the one-year anniversary and moved from Kansas to Florida. That, that is a move. <laughs> and I was suddenly uh, the band director's wife with 100 students. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So um, I sort of took a, a little time. I, I did some part-time work in some different facilities in the Orlando area and took a while to find my my niche and where I needed to be. Um, 
took a couple of years doing that and how to balance it with a band director schedule in Florida, which is a very different animal. Whereas living in Kansas, we only did home football games. Mm-hmm. In Florida, you traveled to all the way games with oh, no the band. Kidding? Right. Oh, and then my gosh. the band did not play basketball games, whereas I grew up with the band playing basketball games. Okay. And and festival was a very different um, adjudicate was very different in Florida versus what I experienced in Kansas. So there was a lot of learning curve going on for me. So, But I finally ended up um, working as the activity director in a nursing home. Um, and from there on, pretty much stayed in long-term care. So Okay. And how long did you stay in Florida? Ooh, we lived in Florida for, I think, the first time, um, I think around 13 years, 14 years. Okay. And and was it there that you decided at some point it made sense to start a family? Yes. So tell us about that. Ooh. Well, we've had this back and forth conversation about starting a family and whenever I was thinking that we should, Jeff didn't. And when Jeff would think we did, should, I thought we shouldn't. (laughs) Um, My parents had a second family. So I had always lived with this, this thought in my mind, if something happens with my parents, I'll end up with two teenagers in the house. Oh, goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So once the baby was, um, much older, I felt like it was safe to have that, those right. conversations again. So it was just sort of one of those, okay, we're going to get, get pregnant. Yeah, yeah. And did it feel like it happened at a good time? Did you feel like you had your ducks in a row or did it sort of um, throw you into chaos mode? Well, a, a little bit of both. I got pregnant and then miscarried. And that totally threw a lot of things off. And then it felt like it took a very, very long time to get pregnant the second time. How are you doing emotionally? Because I have, I can only imagine how having miscarried once that that would have sort of changed your mindset the second time around. It did, especially whenever I would have um, issues, like when I would have spotting and things, it would mean that I would more quickly call the doctor and, uh, and alert him. And so they they tended to monitor me, especially because I was a geriatric pregnancy. So I was due after I turned 35. What was sort of weird is I had a, a brother that um, had HIV, and he told me that he believed that this pregnancy would be fine and that it was, he said, it's a girl and she's going to be wonderful. And he died um, a few months later. Um, before she was, long before she was born. And he was right. She was a girl. So, I mean, I always felt that there was very much a connection. Um, um, And I have always, because of that, really trusted what people say about some of those connections and some of those inklings that people have. Right, right. Especially, I'm sure you've seen that play out a little bit more with the population that you work with and having patients that are at the end of their lives and experiencing some of that as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So once your daughter was born, um, 
where did you go from there and, and how did things look for you career-wise? Well, I took a shortened maternity leave because the facility where I was activity director was getting JACO accreditation survey. So I went back early and that was really hard. How early? I went back about six weeks after <gasps> she was born. Six weeks? Mm-hmm. Oh, did you feel like you were ready or not at all? Oh, not at not all. Not at all. No, I can't. I mean, I'm, I'm, let's see, 12 weeks out now as of this recording, and I'm still feeling like, oh gosh, is it really time to go back to work? So six weeks, I can't even imagine. I mean, you're still healing physically at that point. How did, oh, yeah. How did you, how did you deal with, with that? Well, we pretty much planned that I was going to gradually work back in and just have to deal with the surveyors as best we could with with whatever hours I could work um, at that point. I will say that it was really hard once I was at the point that um, the corporate office felt that I needed to be back at full time. Um, for me, about 30 to 32 hours was about the right amount of time to feel that I could be me as a, an individual person and still have energy to be as a parent. Yeah. So that was a, a, a hard thing. The lucky thing was is that particular corporation and that facility really encouraged the staff to bring their children through the facility and into the facility for different things. So my daughter grew up within that community and being sort of, their little kids. So. Yeah. So your clients and your patients were able to meet her and, and I'm sure learned more about you on a personal level, level, seeing you as a parent and not just as a music therapist. Oh yeah. And they, they gave lots of parental advice. So. <laughs> I'm sure they did. <laughs> what kinds of advice did they give you? That had to be so interesting. Oh, I'd have to have to really, uh, think about it. Things like, um, not worrying too much about her, that she'd be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, some Sometimes it was funny stuff, like the guys would be like, what do you mean change a diaper? Or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, discussions about um, cloth diapers and which folding method to use. Um, there were just lots of fun conversations that we had as a result. Yeah, I can imagine. So what what was your childcare situation? How did you sort of manage um, taking care of things at home and with your daughter with your schedule? The first few weeks when she was too young for the um, daycare situation that we had lined up, she stayed with an individual that we'd met through some other people. And that was always very really hard to leave her. But once she was eight weeks old and we could leave her at the childcare that felt very at home because so many people in our neighborhood and so many people in our church community used the same childcare center. So I knew that all my, my mom friends were checking in on her whenever they drop off or take, pick up their own kids or do different things. So it felt very, very comfortable and very nurturing. So, yeah, that had to make a big difference, especially Having to leave her at such an early age. It, it made a humongous difference. Yeah. 
what what did your professional life look like once you became a mom? Did you feel like your approach to music therapy changed at all? You know, I don't think it it really did. I can't remember any particular change that happened as a result, at least immediately. Yeah, and that's interesting that you say that because a lot of the other guests that I've talked with, um, a lot of them work with kids. So naturally, you know, when you become a parent and then you're working with children as well, your your relationship with kids, that just naturally changes. Um, but since you were working with older adults, I could see where, where your approach might not change just because you, you became a mom. So that's interesting to hear that difference. Um, yes. Did you, did you feel like you had to make changes as far as um, your career as a whole or your schedule and that sort of thing? Well, when our daughter was around two, we made the decision for my husband to go get his doctorate, which necessitated a move back to Kansas City. And I can I became the breadwinner, which was a little different. Well, he did his doctoral work. And then when he finished, he got a job in Florida, and we moved back to Florida. And at that point, because she was ready to enter kindergarten, I made the decision that I was going to go into private practice so that my hours of work would more closely match her hours of school. And when you made that decision, did you already have a game plan going into that, having never worked in private practice before? Or was it just one of those things where you were going to learn as you went and really just trial by fire? To a certain extent, trial by fire. I'd, I'd known, since I w- we were moving back to Orlando, one of my, my friends um, had done something similar. So I sort of had some guidance, and I still had a lot of the connections. And I started cobbling together, and pretty much within two and a half, three months, had a max caseload. I mean, I maybe could have added one more hour of direct service that was about it and how many how many contracts did that involve because that's super impressive well i worked with the united cerebral palsy and i went to two of their centers okay and then i went to an adult day center and two nursing homes and that was basically a full caseload for you. That was a full caseload, yeah. Wow. So how did that affect life at home? It made it a whole lot smoother because I got to work when she was in school and some of the planning stuff she could do with me. We were really lucky. The school was literally, her elementary school was literally in our backyard. Oh, how nice. And in front of the elementary school was a branch of the county library. So one day a week we would, and I think it was usually Wednesdays because they had early release, we'd walk over to the library and she'd read in the children's section and I'd go through books and find resources for either for use at the UCP or um, in some of my adult 
programs if I needed to research things. And it gave her something to do and we could both check out books and go back home. Oh my gosh, that is so fun. And just listening to you talk about that, that's something that I really look forward to down the line with with my own kids because they're still at the age where, you know, when, when I'm home with them, they need constant entertainment or care. It's not like I can really do much of anything when when they're with me. So to think about, you know, down the road being able to do something like that and, and have my kids with me just seems like so much fun. So I love hearing that. Uh, yeah, there, there is a light at the tunnel. Yes. It's but always I, encouraging I, to hear that from, from others. But but I'll warn you that, that the optimal time for doing those things ends ended for me with the end of elementary school. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Because, you know, when they get to middle school, it's like they want to do their own thing. It's not cool anymore to hang out with mom. <laughs> well, and nobody warned me that middle schoolers actually need more of your time. At least where we live, you have to shuttle your children to the after-school activities. Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> and they just take a whole lot of different monitoring at that age than... Right. And that's something that I would love to talk more about. Um, I think that a lot of the guests that I've interviewed aren't quite to that point yet where where their kids are in middle school and high school and really developing their own personalities and their own hobbies and um, all of that stuff. So I'd love to hear how you balance that and all of her, your daughter's obligations with being able to get everything done that you need to do for your private practice. Well, that was part of what made this interesting is actually we only did the, I only did that private practice for a year and then we moved back to Kansas when my husband took the, the director of advanced position at Fort Hayes State where oh, we okay. currently are. And I tried for a year to put together a private practice here, but I realized I didn't know how to make that work in a rural setting real easily. So I started working in an assisted living as the activity director. So kind so of like deja vu. <laughs> deja vu again, yeah. Yeah. And and took a few years doing that. Um, and closer to the time that she was in middle school was when I, she'd started middle school and then I was ready to um, start thinking again about the private practice. I felt like I understood enough of how the community worked at that point. Yeah, and I think that's a really important aspect of private practice is you really do need to understand the community because every city and every um, town is different. And I'm lucky in the fact that I grew up in the town where I live now or in the city where I live. So nat so I just naturally have more connections and things like that. So I can imagine that it had to be difficult going into a place where – you don't necessarily know everybody and you don't necessarily have all of those connections. It was interesting and she probably, I'm trying to think how to put it, for her it probably had the greatest impact. Okay, yeah. We came home from the first day of school here for elementary kids is a half day mm -hmm. instead of a full day. So I picked her up and she said it's, it's not good. They're all white, which she'd never grown up in never been in a um, homogenous vanilla world before. Right. 
Um, and that is, has definitely changed in the, the time we've been here. And then the sec- after the first full day, she goes, it's worse. They're, they're all related. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Which was the part of living rule I had not thought to, to brace her for. Wow. Really? Like really. cousins and. <laughs> yeah. Everybody. I mean, like one of her best friends literally in high school would have to go home and check with her parents and make sure she was not too closely related to a boy to no. date him. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. I mean, I've heard of that just like as an abstract thing, but that really actually happened in your town. Wow. Yes. Yes. So. It's, it's very different to move into a close-knit community where everybody knows that you're not from here. Right. And that was part of, of what made this very different, that it's, it's a regional relationship. It's not just even the community, but the region sort of functions that way. Okay. So they, they know that you either came because of the hospital or because of the university. Mm. Yeah, so not only was your daughter having to adjust to that, because she was the new girl and the outsider. But then I'm sure for you, you had your challenges as well. Right. So, it, but, you know, it, it's it's all good. Um, the nice thing is, is that everybody knows enough of your business that <laughs> they know when, when to be concerned. So. Right, right. So I, I, I don't want, want anybody to look negatively on living rule because there are an amazing amount of blessings oh I can imagine yeah just like any community has its has its pros and cons but yeah I'm at, at this point it's it's really cool to be into my private practice to be just about at that max level of number of hours that I went to work, which is, again, when she transitioned out of high school into college was all this, I'd not really thought about the fact that suddenly I had hours that I needed to decide if they were work hours or personal hours. Right. Because I'm sure just having that sheer amount of um, freedom that you didn't have before, it was difficult to really be able to categorize, okay, how am I going to spend this time that I didn't have before? And um, I could see how that might be a little overwhelming too. Yeah. So I took a few months to sort of sit and play with schedules and say, how does this feel? And and sort of try some things on and go, eh, not so good. Were so. there some some mistakes around the or along the way that you made and kind of had to um, shift things a little bit? I think it was more it was more the realizing that I'd finally gotten to an age where an afternoon nap, <laughs> an afternoon, you know, 15 or 20 minutes of just chillating was, was definitely needed in my schedule. Yeah. Um, that I was at a point that I really do need to set pauses between, you know, X number of piano lessons or X number of clients to be sure that I actually sit down and drink a glass of water and go to the bathroom and just walk around and get my body out of whatever position I've been in. Um, and I think part of that's age and part of it's just just me. Yeah. Well, and I think you are the first guest that I've had on the podcast that 
um, is now an empty nester, and that's seen a child off to college. So can you talk a little bit about that transition just from a mom perspective and and how you dealt with that? Because I'm sure that was not easy. Oh, no, it's <laughs> not. And it's interesting that there's all these books on how to become a parent and how to become a mom, and there's nothing much written about the transition to the emptiness. That's surprising because that, that's such a huge life change. The closest I've seen is more notes to kids. I saw a blog post in the last week that talked about the fact that if your, your mom wants to make your bed, if your dad wants to go around on the dorm floor and introduce himself to every family on the floor, and it just sort of went through this whole litany of parental activities. Mm-hmm. They said, let them do all those things because <laughs> this is harder on them than it will ever be on you. Right. Um, I think it's, it's, it's more the shift from, trying to think how to put it, the shift from being a full-time mom to just being a mom when they when they decide they need you to be one that that was so so different for me i mean now now it's when i get the call of mom how do i want run this new washer and dryer in my apartment um, <laughs> right so i mean just learning those changes um that was that was a learning curve for me because mm, I didn't have close friends that it had been through that recently. Yeah, you didn't have people that you could go to and say, hey, how do I deal with this emotionally and how do I pull back to the point where, you know, we're both comfortable with how things are. Right. It was all people that were in the same place as, as I was at that moment. Right. So it was more like, commiserating. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure that helped to have that support system of people to commiserate with because that you just need that outlet no matter what stage of life you're in. You need those peers that you can go to and say, oh my gosh, I know you can relate to what I just went through. Oh yeah. Yeah. But the other thing that was odd for me that doesn't happen for most people is my husband has always been one that works a lot of hours and stuff. Mm -hmm. So we went from me being the one that primarily saw her saw our daughter too because she's going to college at Fort Hayes to he's the one who primarily sees her now. Oh, so that had it's, to be an interesting shift for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, now she's playing in dad's wind ensemble and now she's stopping by dad's office when she's on her way to choir or voice lessons or clarinet lessons or whatever. Yeah. So, so did that spark a little jealousy in you? Yeah, it did. I'm I was sure. surprised. I was like, whoa, where yeah. did that come from? But I'm sure that had to be really cool for your husband to to have that shift happen. Oh, it, it's been really cool for him. Yeah. And is she is she cool with, with having the dad that's the band director and, and having him know all of her friends and all of her life at school. <laughs> she seems to be fine with it, especially because she's not a music major. So it it's just, you know, those particular classes and okay. she's doing the ensembles for zero credit and 
Okay. Yeah, I'm sure it would be different if, you know, she was a music major and and dad was like the <laughs> professor in her life. Yeah. So that that that's probably a big help. Yeah. Yeah. So how how else have things changed for you as a working mom, a working mom who owns a business, but also a mom whose child is not in the house anymore? It has caused me to go ahead and start looking with my husband at what's next. Um, Do we at some point retire fully? Do we go into a partial retirement? If we go into partial retirement, how does that look? I mean, it's, it's made me realize that we need to take more time planning our transitions in life when we have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, and I can imagine that it's really exciting to be able to plan that and not be planning it around, you know, having children at home or, you know, is this going to conflict with their school schedules and their extracurricular schedules? It's really just about you and your husband at this point and what you want your life to look like. Yeah, and that that's it, it's very difficult actually when you remove those parameters sometimes to to come up with how that looks and how that works. Well, yeah, because the last 18 years of your life has have basically revolved around your child. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was really weird. After she she moved back from the dorm for a week before she moved into her apartment, and once she moved out, then we we really did finally transition her room into being a guest room. <laughs> How did she take that? She's actually really cool with that. Is she? So, oh, good. But it, it – and I moved my office out of the – we had shared an office before, and now I'm in the music room where I, I teach piano lessons. And and um, so being able to, to spread out a little different way and not have to worry about, okay, well – Everybody in the house is trying to practice. I can't really work in the, you know, it just gave, gave us different options as far as even how we use the rooms of the house. So, right. So where, just out of curiosity, where do you see yourself heading, um, especially in terms of your music therapy career? At this point, I'm not real sure. I, I want to keep things going as far as the current business. Um, we're trying to create some potential timelines of where we want to go and when we think we might go. I, I, I'm trying to, to build the online business piece just so that we can have a little bit more downtime. Um, I think that's the way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that we can take more trips to go see our daughter wherever she ends up in her master's and doctoral work. And Yeah. What Now, what is your daughter studying? She wants to be a clinical psychologist right now in the prison system. Oh, interesting. How How did she make that decision? No idea. Really? It just kind of came out of left field? It came out of left field. Wow. And even when I've asked her, it's like, no, this is what I want to do. Why? I don't know. It's what I want to do. And is she in her second year of college or going into her second year now? She's going into her second year, but she's taken in enough 
credits that it's she's actually a junior. Okay. Okay. So does she plan to finish her undergraduate degree early? Yes, she plans to finish in three years. Okay. And so. then go right into grad school after that? Correct. Wow. So she she knows where she's going. She's got she's got a plan, it sounds like. She has a plan. So let's talk about um some of the things that you do for yourself outside of work, especially now that you have some more time, I'm sure, to devote to self-care? Well, I spend a lot of time walking dogs because we have two rather large energetic dogs. <laughs> what kind of dogs are they? Um, pound puppies. Oh. Uh, <laughs> one of them is a blue healer mix, probably with a German shepherd. And the other one is a nine-month-old. Anatolian Shepherd Border Collie Mix. Oh, and so adorable, by the way. I, I've seen all the pictures on Facebook. Such a cute dog. So full of energy. Oh, my I word. can imagine. I can't even – no, I can't imagine having a puppy again at this point. I've been there and done that. And, and after that first year, I told my husband, I was like, I really don't think that I could go through that again because it's, it's hard work. It is. I think it's it's like having a two-year-old for eons. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> totally. Like, honestly, I thought that having a baby was easier than having a puppy. <laughs> yeah, babies don't usually eat your CD collection. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I Yeah, I can't even count the number of items that my puppy ruined. <laughs> um, I also enjoy gardening. So I, I'm still doing my gardening and I enjoy baking bread and have done that some and just being involved in church activities and, and attending concerts and doing all the things we used to do, but probably just more with my own interests being the, the push instead of the involvement of our daughter. Right, right. Yeah, and that has to feel pretty good to to be able to devote more time to those things and really just do them for the pure enjoyment of doing them. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so I want to go back to your work a little bit more because you have really, I feel like, sort of pioneered um, the intergenerational music therapy approach. Um, so can you tell us some more about that and the work that you've done with the intergenerational populations? Sure. It started way back right before our daughter was born. The nursing home I worked at had an elementary school across the street. And a long story, very short, because the residents kept asking for more regular contact with the students, I went over and we were able to arrange for, I think it was third through fifth grade um, classes to come over. And we would have two to three classes a week throughout the school year, come over and do um, different e events and activities with the residents. And sometimes it would be interviews. Sometimes it'd be just taking them outside for walks around the parking lot. They would escort us over to their concerts and their activities during the school day. And I got into seeing how that relationship changed things for the residents and also heard stories from the teachers of how that changed things for the, for the students and how they 
also as teachers changed in some of their perspectives about the students and seeing them interact. So when I ended up here in Hayes as an activity director, one of the things I started doing was a preschool program in the facility. And that was sort of where the intergenerational work restarted again, was doing intergenerational groups within the facility with preschoolers because the school district did not have a school near the facility and the transportation situation didn't allow for regular programming otherwise. And since going into private practice, then I've continued doing it at a, at a different facility and am about to expand it back to my original facility, which sounds very convoluted, I know, <laughs> but just the parents really get into watching their children engage and develop relationships with some of these older individuals. Some of them are ones that they knew um, earlier in life when it's people that grew up in Hayes. And for others, it's being able to have that grandparent figure around, even though their grandparents live far from here. Um, one of the moms commented about the fact her, her children tended to be very fearful when they would go into the nursing home, when they would visit grandma in another state and that even just after a month of going to activities and then going back to visit grandmother in a facility, how there've been so many changes, the walkers and the wheelchairs didn't frighten the kids anymore. And they were more apt to go up and give a hug to, to different people or shake a hand or just that there had been a, a big shift in how the kids seem to view people. Yeah, I think that's such important work and such important relationships to build. Um, and what a mutually beneficial um, pairing that is for both for both populations. So yes, I think that that's so wonderful, so interesting. And actually, you were one of our guests on the Music Therapy Roundtable podcast a couple of years ago, and you really delved into your intergenerational work. So I will be putting a link to that episode in the show notes for this podcast so that um, those listening can learn more about that. Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. So Joanne, tell us what advice you would give to other music therapists who um, are I don't know, at any point along the journey that you've traveled, whether it's just now becoming um, a music therapist mom or somebody who's getting ready to become an empty nester. Make a plan, make a plan B, make a plan C, and then be ready to totally ditch the plans and go along for the ride because there is nothing nothing like oh sorry like the journey of being a parent yeah yeah I absolutely agree with that a hundred percent and no plan is gonna play out the way that that you think it will oh no and <laughs> and even when the plan goes when things go bad something good is going to come out of it I mean I love that. You may think that that 
there's no good in, trust me, there is an amazing amount of stuff that you just learn from your child that in the long run makes you a better person and a, and a better therapist. Yeah, there's so much crossover between parenthood and music therapy. It's really just amazing. I'm finding that to be true every day. I'm learning something that I can take with me to that other part of my life. Very true. Very true. So Joanne, I know that you have a million projects, it seems like, and so much cool stuff that you're doing online and in your private practice. So do you have any music therapy related projects or news that you'd like to share? I sure do. I have a new website that's just for music therapists working with older adults. And it's also where I'm housing my session plans for my senior living community sessions, as well as my intergenerational sessions. And it's a membership site, but even if you're not a member, you can sign up for what I call weekly quick sips, which are just little ideas to sort of feed you as a music therapist, feed your sessions, feed just fun things, you know, both for work and and for your personal life. And as as one who likes to plan sessions, and I know that may seem seem weird to some people, but I really do enjoy planning sessions, I decided that I wanted to have a big celebration and get a group of us together working on planning older adult sessions. So if people are not on my quick sip list for Session Cafe, they can go over there and sign up and be sure that they mark that they want to participate in the session planning celebration. And if they're already getting my quick sips, they just need to edit their newsletter subscription, to their email subscription to include that. And from September 14th through October 2nd, we're going to be planning three different sessions together. What a great idea. And I love that because not everybody is as enthusiastic about session planning as you are. So to have that that um, to view it as a celebration and to have that collaboration, I think will be so helpful to lots of other music therapists. Well, and everybody who participates will get a PDF with all the songs that everybody throws there into the, the pot. Awesome. And for each one of those, your name goes in for a drawing. I'm going to be holding a drawing for a giveaway of a year's subscription to my site, my membership site, and everyone who participates in all three weeks will get a free month. That is fantastic. And is it free to participate in the celebration? It is free to participate in the celebration. Wow. What an amazing resource. So if if you work with those populations and need some inspiration, it seems like a no-brainer to me. It should be fun. It should be a lot of fun. (laughs) Well, I do have one last question for you, Joanne, and that is, do you have any favorite products, books, or resources related to either music therapy or motherhood that you'd like to share? Well, I guess I have one resource that I would share if anybody is thinking about private practice that I've just started delving into. It's called 12 Months to Your Ideal Private Practice. Ah, I have that book on my shelf. And I'm finding it 
even though I've been doing this for a while, to, to go through this book and go through the process, it's making me re-examine what I do and why I do what I do. And that's so interesting, especially coming from somebody who's had so much experience in private practice, the fact that you still feel like there are things that you can learn and that you can expand on. Um, that's really inspiring because I'm always looking for ways to become a better business owner and a better practitioner. It It, it is a very interesting process to go through and... It, it's an ongoing process, the way the book's set up. So I'm interested to see how I look at it when I've finished the book and I start it again. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to look at that book again because it's been a while. I think I read it when I was first starting out years and years ago. So I'll have to take another look. And then I have one other book called How I Made $100,000 My First Year as a Piano Teacher. What? <laughs> And it's it while it doesn't directly have anything to do with music therapy, it has definitely informed a lot of how I've set up my piano studio. And it, it has made me think a lot about music therapy and especially because a lot of what I do is more community music therapy. It's not traditional one-on-one music therapy or you know, small group things. Right. It, it, it's really made me step back and look at things and and see if there's ways that I can reformat what I offer. I will definitely be checking that book out personally. So. And I think yeah. that was only like a 10 or $12 book oh, too. What terribly better. expensive. Even yeah. better. Cool, cool. Well, I'm definitely going to put links to both of those resources and, again, all of the others that you've mentioned And I just want to also add, Joanne, that you are such a great connector. I love following you on Twitter, and I've made so many connections with other people as a result of you putting me in in touch with other people. So if you're not following Joanne and you're active on social media, both on Twitter and Facebook, can you share your handles so that people can find you there? Sure. On Twitter, I am Jordan. J-O-R-D-A-N, E as in egg, M as in music. And what about Facebook? On Facebook, um, I have my personal page, which is um, Joanne Alpin Jordan. And then my business page, the easiest one is Music Sparks. Perfect. Great. Well, I will link to both of those as well. And Joanne, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your insight and wisdom with us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Joanne a message, you can contact her via email, joanne at music2spark.com. That's the number two. Would you like to be a guest on the show? Let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And I would really appreciate if you would take just a minute to rate and review the show on iTunes so that it reaches even more listeners. I'll talk to you again next week.